What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today I had an incredible conversation with a special guest. Her name is Kate Callahan. This is somebody that I got connected with through Aram at the Real Coaches Summit. And when I dove into her content, I knew that we were going to have an epic conversation. And this exceeded my expectations. If you are somebody who struggles with actionable advice when it comes to leveling up your mindset, then you are going to want to pay attention and probably listen to this a couple of times. There are amazing nuggets that you can extract. And Kate really does a good job of breaking things down into action steps. And I find that a lot of mindset people talk in abstract concepts and don't really give you tangible, actionable advice. This is tangible. This is actionable. We always circle back to, okay, if this is the issue, what can we do about it? So I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation with Kate. And if you do, we would love to hear about it. Nothing makes us happier than to see who's listening and to know that you got some value out of our conversation. So the best thing to do is take a screenshot of the episode and post it to your stories on Instagram. You can tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, and you can tag Kate at Kate and Michelle. And that's K-A-I-T-A-N-N-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. On Instagram, tag us. And also, please do me a favor. If you enjoy this show, if you enjoy the episode, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You will be eligible to win a supplement of your choice from one of our sponsors, Cured or Organifi. All you have to do is pull up the app on your phone, go to the search bar, search function, type in Mind Over Macros, click on the thumbnail, scroll all the way down until you see the ratings and reviews, tap write a review, write something nice, maybe drop a joke in there. I always like some humorous stuff. And then submit your five-star review and you will be eligible to win. We announce the winners every single week right here on the show so you can tune in and get all excited and get that dopamine hit when you hear your name called as a winner. Go do that for me. Subscribe to the show. Follow the show. We are keeping this thing moving. We are growing. We are getting new people every single day listening, and I appreciate it more than you know. Now, with that being said, enjoy the conversation with Kate Callahan. All right. What's up, everybody? I am joined today by a very special guest, somebody that I actually met at the Real Coaches Summit in Vegas. Shout out to Aram again for an epic event. Um, I've got Kate Callahan. And first of all, thanks for joining. Of course. I'm very uh, excited. Yeah, definitely. I started diving into your content. Uh, and once I saw you talking about future self-work and overthinking and anxiety and mindset related things, I knew that we were going to have an epic conversation today. So I'm excited to dive in, but I always like to start at the beginning. Uh, how did you get into this? And um, especially interested, like people call me the mindset guy, which I tend to hate because I think it's just a buzzword now and people throw it around without actually understanding what it is. Uh, but I never imagined that that was going to be the thing that people latched onto. I was like, Hey, I can tell you all about like nutrition and metabolism and hormones and all this stuff. And everyone's like, no, talk more about mindset. Uh, so I'm curious on like your origin story, how you got into this industry and then how you kind of found your, um, I guess your, your niche in the, in the mindset world. Yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> 
Um, okay. So, uh, my background, I grew up as an athlete. So, uh, I had a single mother and my older brother and sister were 10 months older than me. And so after school where I was from, it was like, you either got into drugs and like did that whole thing or like you got into sports and like, that was really it. So my brother, um, and I were quite close when I was a kid. And so he took me to the rec center. I could throw a football. I would run routes cause he was a quarterback. I started playing basketball. Um, and that really became my life. I ended up going to UNC Greensboro. I still wear my college gear. <laughs> um, and then I played division basketball from there. And I had always been an athlete and I loved understanding like, how can I perform better? What do I need to be doing? How do I train? And so through that pursuit, um, if you've ever known a division one athlete, or maybe you played sports yourself, your life is run around the clock. Um, from 4am until midnight, my day was blocked out, had to be somewhere. Someone was watching you. Like you had the whole thing. And I thrived there. I really, really enjoyed that. And it was my identity for a long time. I was just, I was known for what I did versus who I was. And then I tore my patellar tendon, so completely blew that out um, and had to have knee reconstructive surgery. And at that point, I probably hit rock bottom. That was also after coming off the backside of leaving a very abusive relationship. So I had a lot of emotional turmoil that I had to deal with uh, with that respect. And then the loss of identity from pursuing that for from the time I was five until 22. So I didn't know who I was. I didn't have any self-respect. I had a lot of self-hatred and loathing. And I, I had to start investigating that stuff. And initially I went through studying, okay, well, I now I'm in a straight leg brace. I was in it for three months. So muscle atrophy, the whole nine. And I was like, okay, I want to figure out how do I grow back this tissue as fast as possible. Right. And so then I got into studying hypertrophy versus strength. I would go to the gym on crutches and just like do what I could do. Um, and I haven't actually touched a basketball since uh, I ended my career there. I haven't played. Um, and so through that, um, pursuit, it led to bodybuilding. Um, so then I went down that path and it was more a, a creative outlet for me to exhibit control in a world where I felt very lost. And so it was a way for me to compartmentalize those emotions and distract myself with something that literally was an all day affair, right? If you've ever pursued bodybuilding, you know, that it's literally all day, every day, a job. And so it allowed me to distract myself from sitting with a lot of things I didn't want to address. And not everyone's that way, but that was the fulfilling side of the pursuit for me because I had the discipline. I had done the whole thing my whole life and kind of ran myself through a mill of doing things I didn't feel like doing because I knew that the reward was worth the discomfort that I was facing at that time. And so on the other side of bodybuilding, um, I had lost my health through that pursuit, went through my functional medicine certification, did the whole nine, fixed that. Um, and from 2017, um, I was when I really started getting more introspective through those journeys and, and realizing I'd achieve all these things, but I was never fulfilled, right? It was always like, okay, well, that's not good enough. So I got to chase this thing and that's not good enough. So I got to do this and I don't look good enough here. So I got to pursue this. And like just constantly chasing shit, feeling like once I finally got it, I would, I would be happy. I would be fulfilled. I would feel good enough. And so when I, when I realized this was a pattern, I was like, okay, well, let me start to get, let me start investigating myself and so that really stimulated more of the mindset side of things. And like, you're known as the mindset guy. Aram's like, you're one captivating bitch. Like, <laughs> I'm like, can I put that in my bio? <laughs> He's like, you know, you are who I would call like the mindset guru. And a lot of this is self-taught. And now I'm pursuing my clinical psychology degree because I really am passionate about helping people through those things. Because I know what it feels like to feel like outside of all things I do in the associations that I have with people, like, I don't actually know who I am right? Which is was is really emptying once you can acknowledge that, but then incredibly exciting because then you get to know yourself. 
And so I went down that path of kind of self-discovery, full alignment, looking at who I am outside of what people wanted me to be, and then giving myself permission to authentically be Kate. Um, And through all of those things, I kind of ended up now where my business model really is the focusing on bridging the gap between psychology and physiology for long-term sustainable change and true fulfillment. Cause I I want everybody to be able to feel and experience the, the joy, the gratitude, the fulfillment, the peace that I have now, which I didn't have eight years ago. Yeah. And I want to explore that a little bit. There's so many things that are relatable about your story uh, that resonate with me. First, the identity shift of calling yourself an athlete and then finding yourself in a position of being like, well, if I'm not, able to play anymore because of a knee injury. For me, it was after sports was over for me in college, I gained like 80 pounds, which seemed like overnight. And I was like, well, now I'm no longer an athlete because I don't, I'm embarrassed to even step on a court, not because I can't, but like now, you know, what, what can I still do? Can I still, you know, even jump anymore? And, And that was my identity crisis moment of like, if I'm not an athlete, then who am I? Then you also mentioned this constant pursuit of fulfillment and coming up empty. And I always say it was like pushing the goalpost back. Well, when once I get under 200 pounds, I'll be happy. Then it was 190, 180, 170 it was never going to be good enough. And no matter how extreme I got, no matter what accomplishments I, I acquired, it was always this feeling of emptiness and similar. It was like, okay, I got to explore this. I got to understand what's what's truly missing. So for you, what what did you unpack? What was missing? Uh, when you started to get introspective and and like all of those things that you were trying to fill with, you know, more discipline, more commitment, more achievement, what was the thing that was missing for you? So, you know, a lot of people, and I'm, I will talk about these things, but I, I used to think that a lot of this stuff was like very woo woo. And maybe you did too. Like, there's always this kind of, and eh, this sounds a little bit woo woo to me, this, you know, they're off their rocker. Right. And I used to believe those things. And then I got to a point where I was like, well, let me just like try this on for size. And I say that because people talk about childhood trauma, like people talk about trauma all the time. And it's like this really big buzzword. And I'm like, well, first we have to acknowledge that every single human being has some type of trauma. Right. And there's no like trauma. I, I my trauma is worse than yours. So then like you're just not as tra- traumatized as I am. Like, and there's this whole weird demographic of people that will like advocate for the trauma. Um, I say that because when I was a kid, like I said, my mom was a single mom and my mom is superhuman. I think all moms are superhuman. I can't wait to be a mother. I think that because my mom also had to care for three kids on her own, working multiple jobs. Um, and my older brother and sister were twins and not that she treated me less than she just treated me differently. My temperament was different. I was very, very independent from a very young age. And I think because, um, my brother was like the only boy and he was kind of like the golden child. And if he's listening to this, I'd be like, whatever, Kate, but he really was. And he, he's one of those kids like, and again, it doesn't mean my mom loved me less, but because I was so autonomous and independent from a young age, she didn't necessarily put as much she didn't need to put as much energy into making sure I was okay. And so my brother was very good in sports, just like me. Um, and so it would be like, Kate did great, but like Gavin did phenomenal, right? And it was like always this, even if I did something really, really great, it just felt like it was not good enough. And so this constant uh, narrative for me was, you're good, but not, not great. Like you're good, but not good enough, right? You're good for now, but not good forever. And the biggest gap in my life has been my personal relationships with men. And a lot of that comes down to a self-fulfilling prophecy of a narrative that I was telling myself about my, a story I was telling myself about myself, right? And our subconscious beliefs will manifest into our external behaviors, which will cultivate our external reality and therefore our experiences, right? And so for me, it was getting to the root of like, what is it that I actually believe about myself? 
right? What, what is this feeling that keeps me going? And for me, it was, I was 27 years old um, when my mom sent me a letter on my birthday. And not that she isn't proud of me, but there were many times where I wanted her to vocalize her pride for me. Like I had heard her say for my brother, for example, that she never did. And so like I kept chasing something to experience some type of you're good enough now. I'm proud of you. You are accepted. You you get the feedback. You receive it. And for me, it was it was feeling as though my internal worth, Kate, as a person, is only worthy if she achieves so many things, gets so many gold medals, gets her name announced so many times, right? Accomplishes so many, you know, stats in a game or whatever that is. Like I I stemmed my value based on the feedback of what I could produce. Right. And this is the Enneagram three in me. It's like you, you are validated by what you do in your job, your pursuits, your careers, whatever that is. Right. And you take that feedback. And so you are also incredibly critical at the same time of, of your own existence. And so for me, it's this balance of understanding the way that I'm wired. I'm kind of tapped. And I say this to people a lot because people be people always ask me, how are you so driven to do all these things even when you don't feel like it? And I'm like, I'm not saying this is a good thing. Right. My ambition, my uh, obsessiveness with certain pursuits is not always a good thing, right? It, it has a dark side to it. And so when I think about why I was constantly chasing, it was because for whatever reason, I felt as though me being who I am without all of these achievements, I would not, I would just be nothing. I would, I would just exist and I wouldn't be seen. And at the end of the day, I wanted to feel seen for who I was, which is funny because I always focused on the things that I could achieve that I thought would make me feel seen. And they never did. Right. Because a part of it was I'm showing certain parts of myself, like pixels of an image. Right. And you can you can get a lot of them, but you don't actually get the whole comprehensive picture until you can get in somebody's mind and emotions. And I hadn't given myself permission to express those things. Right. Because I didn't even really know what I believed or where that came from. And so I had to figure out, okay, what is it that I truly believe? And why do I believe that? Right. So even to this day, when I have an opinion, maybe I'll say something on this podcast in five years from now, I'll be like, yeah, I actually made that comment on that podcast. And like, I was so wrong. And I think for a lot of people, sometimes they can hold their identity to a belief and then um, start to uh, investigate themselves or decide their own value based on a belief. Right. Their identity is associated to a thought or belief that they have. But once I could dissociate myself from a lot of these things and just go, okay, wait, who are you? What do you like? What do you enjoy? Like, I'm a fucking nerd. And when I played divisional basketball, it was like not cool to be super smart, right? So I had to kind of pull down my intellect level to make sure I fit into the group, right? Because I didn't want to be like the nerdy point guard from Vermont. <laughs> it was like already stood out like a sore thumb. And so I, I had to shut parts of me down to try to fit a mold. And with that came a lot of anxiety for me because I knew that I was misaligned. And growing up as a kid, playing athlete, being being an athlete and playing basketball, I never had an issue with anxiety. Like even my mom was like, you didn't deal with anxiety until you were in your twenties. And it was because I was constantly pursuing things, but also shutting parts of myself down to feel accepted by the group versus giving myself permission to have a voice and say what I believed and do the things that I actually love doing just because Kate likes to do them, not because they're associated with any type of status. And so when I could then investigate and come to a clarity point in that, I also then had to accept that this is who I am right now. And I can always evolve and change and pursue different things but also give myself permission to say, you can actually say that if you think it and you believe it. And I think once I accepted me for who I was, and I also gave myself permission to put that out into the world, all of those negative thoughts, beliefs, and associations diminished. And for me, that was really, really powerful, but it was only because I had the courage 
to sit down and do what what psychologists would deem as like shadow work, like really investigate those parts of yourself that are kind of ugly, right? That you don't necessarily love, but you need to get comfortable with because you cannot overcome a fear if you refuse to acknowledge that it exists. And so I had to take a deep dive under the hood and go, what's, what's actually going on under here, sister? And then get really brutally honest with myself about those things. And instead of you know, a lot of people will tend to project their own internal turmoil onto an audience and say it's somebody else's fault. And I say this a lot and people always take the negative of it, but I actually find it to be incredibly empowering where everything in your life is your fault, literally everything. Right. And so like every negative thing that ever happened to me was my fault, but also on the other side of that, every really good thing that happened to me was also my fault. Right. And then when you have this level of extreme ownership on everything that happens to you, that is in your environment that you experience, it also gives you a lot of power to shift that, right? The things that you don't like, the things that you've experienced that you didn't enjoy, the negative parts of yourself. It's like, okay, now how can I channel that energy, right? This this obsessiveness, this ambition, right? This this self-loathing almost, like knowing how to like tap into my own headspace and get myself to do things. It's like now that I can control my mind, how do I take that energy and put it into something productive? And that really is what was the catalyst to me launching my business, growing my business, and then really working with people to overcome some of these thoughts, processes, and limiting beliefs to help them get to where I know they can be, but they don't really know it yet. Yeah, there's there's so much gold in there. And I think one thing that stood out to me is this confirmation back to this internal dialogue that your your brain will kind of always pull you back. Always say like, we all have this I am statement about ourselves. And for you is the, I am good, but not good enough. And then if you start to take action, uh, you know, that's out of alignment with that internal belief, then your brain is like, uh, we're coming back here. And and a lot of people end up self-sabotaging and not realizing why, but it's because you have this internal belief about yourself. You're letting that narrative play in the background. And then when you start to do things that are counter aligned to that, then your brain's like, Nope, we need, we need to be back into this I am statement of I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy, whatever it may be. Uh, But the thing that always fascinates me is uh, because I did a lot of this work on myself. And to me, it was the like I I felt a lot of pressure uh, growing up. So my tendency was to sabotage, to let people down before like I'm going to be in control of letting you down uh, and I'm going to be the one in the driver's seat. So it's like let's let this happen first. Let's get it out of the way and let's lower the expectations. Um, so I had to unpack that a lot, but what I'm always fascinated with is, is the awareness, like going from, I don't know what the internal dialogue is or the narrative or the story that I'm believing about myself. I don't know what my I am statement is like, how do we go from blind spot to aware? So I think most people, and this is where I tell people all the time that your intuition is the one thing that's right more often than it's not. Because we've all done something where you're like, I really shouldn't do that. But then your logical brain and then stakeholder society expectations will pressure you into making that decision, knowing that it's not in alignment with you, right? But through conditioning and environment and, and social upbringings, gatherings, culture, right? We then start to diminish our own intuition to fit into the group which a lot of people have done and most people do. The problem with that is over a certain amount of time, depending on the amount of distance that you create within your sense of self to fit into these molds, right? There are certain things that will manifest. For me, it was severe levels of anxiety. I was like, what is this? I don't like this feeling. It's It became a point where I was like, I need to sort this out because I don't want to be on medication for the rest of my life. Like I, that is a bandaid for me. And I know that there's this internal conflict that I'm dismissing. And so 
like I'm, I go back to trauma and it's like, most people have trauma. Like I, I think everyone who's being honest has some capacity of that. And you also have beliefs because most people have, whether, I mean, it could be relationships, whether you're anxious or avoidant in your attachment styles and all of that stuff, like it manifests and it cultivates not only like your own relationship with self, but the relationships that you have with other people. Like if your intimate relationships are chaotic, like you are also a culprit of that. So why is that? What is that? Why are you accepting this? What do you believe about this? Like, and then just getting curious about something in your life. It doesn't necessarily have to go, okay, I'm now going to become incredibly introspective. But for me, one of the best people that ever came into my life was my stepdad. He's a Marine. He's very cut and dry, very straightforward. And he's the one person that I have in my life. And I love my mom to death, but there are certain things that I can only share with him because outside of whatever it is that I decide to do, he never judges me, but he also knows me like transparently. And so when you have someone in your corner that that's that way, they will call you on your shit and be like, I love you, but this is not you. What are you doing? Right. And so for me, when I, after I tore my knee, I moved back home and he was there and he spent so much time with me just working through some of the things that I was struggling with. Like he was like, he would just see the way that I would carry myself and the way that I would behave. And he was like, you need to forgive yourself. You need to fucking forgive yourself because we've all forgiven you, but this is not okay. You are better than this. Right. And it was that courage of like, okay, I need to sort this out on top of, I ended up putting myself in a hospital Right. Because it had gotten so extreme with the amount of restriction over exercising that I was doing out of self-hatred that I I got to a point where for me, and I hope no one ever gets this point, but my health was on the line. My life was on the line. And so it, was, it had to get to that point for me to go, OK, if I'm going to fix this problem, then I need to take ownership of this and really investigate what the fuck is going on. Right. So for me, there was that breaking point where something catastrophic had to happen for me to look myself in the eye and go this is not you. We're going to sort this out and it's going to be really ugly. But on the other side, it's actually going to be really beautiful. And I think a lot of people, it's it's scary to kind of look under the hood and acknowledge your darkness and kind of the, the darker sides of humans, right? Because we all have it in us to do really destructive and terrible things. We just don't all choose to do that. And so understanding, again, your temperament, your beliefs, the narratives, the expectations, the way that you were brought up, um, and really taking the time to reflect on that and look into it and go, how much of this is true for me? in what I perceive to be true about myself and the type of person that I want to be in the world. And then once you have clarity on not only who you want to be, but transparently who you are, you can start to bridge the gap, right? Because then you can see it clearly. If you're being honest with yourself, you can say, these are all the negative qualities that do not serve the person that I want to become. So I need to really focus with intention on these habits, behaviors, narratives, beliefs, and actions so that I can break these and replace them with ones that serve the person that I want to become. And this is kind of that art. And I say this all the time, there's this um, this beautiful mold of like being and becoming, right? You're not there yet, but you're actively working towards that while you can also appreciate and understand where you are and the things that you need to fix. Because it's just like a fitness pursuit, right? You think like once I lose 50 pounds, I'm going to be, that's going to be great. That's it. That's the end, right? And then you climb to the top of the mountain and you realize there's another peak. And then you have to have the courage to keep climbing. Right. And that's kind of the same thing on the personal development side. It's like you might overcome one obstacle, but you might also overcome that obstacle to find that there's like 10 more behind it. And it's like, then you have to have the courage to go, okay, I'm going to continue to show up and face these things because the future me on the other side of all this bullshit is going to be really fucking proud that I did. And finally, I'll be free from all of these things that I've held myself shackled to because I didn't have the courage to face them. Yeah. And I always find that we, 
learn the lessons and we acquire the skills through the first obstacle that allows us to then tackle the next obstacle and the next one. And it's like this never ending pursuit. It's the the infinite game that I think is, is a beautiful thing, but it sounds to me like your starting point was really ownership, um, like pattern recognition and ownership of this thing is coming up in my life over and over again. And I identifying this pattern exists. I'm going to take ownership that everything is my fault and my responsibility. And then you mentioned a key word in there, which was curiosity. And I think that that really nails it where now we're just exploring without judgment, just taking away the the guilt and shame and all these other emotions that we feel when we get curious about ourselves. It's just, what is this? What? How is it serving me? Why is it there? When did it start? Is it my voice? Is it somebody else's voice? Do I really believe this? And now you, again, you create this, this distance that you mentioned from this is what I currently believe. This is who I currently am, but this is actually who I want to become. This is who I, I want to be in the future. And now we have the path and it's it's laid out and then it's just bridging that gap, which sounds very easy, but oftentimes we will act out of alignment with the future version of ourselves that we want to become. Um, before we get into that, because it's a, a topic that I'm very passionate about and I, I love talking about future self-work. Uh, one of my favorite books is called Be Your Future Self Now by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Highly recommend everybody read it. Um, but you mentioned your dark side of like goal achievement and pers- uh, you know accomplishment. And it led you to this place of extreme restriction and always trying to do more. And I, I find that there is this like delicate balance where the actions that you're taking aren't inherently bad until they become that like there's this point of like hey on the surface wanting to achieve is not a bad thing but your greatest strength can become that that dark side or that you know your greatest weakness or detriment so you know i'm sure we both work with a lot of type a driven individuals who are just like the go-getters and like more i want to do more give me more cardio cut my food more like whatever it is they're like i'll i'll do it i don't care i've got the discipline how do you identify when it's becoming the darkness when it's no longer productive how do how do you how have you navigated that kind of balance or that duality of this thing can serve me but it can also destroy me so that's a beautiful question and i think again this is where people will look at certain people and they'll be like wow i really want their life you have no idea the cost of certain things that people pursue right so when i was per- pursuing basketball I, at one point, had to cut out every other sport. I was driving two and a half hours because I was from Vermont. I played AAU basketball in Lowell, Massachusetts, and I would drive there every day. I would structure my days around basketball, around practice, my nutrition, the workouts. I didn't really have a social life. Like That was the cost for me in that pursuit. In bodybuilding, the same principle. I didn't really have great relationships. I wasn't present with my family. I missed events that were really important that I will never get back. Right, And then building my business, I would work over 80 hours a week. I was barely sleeping. I was focused on building something. But again, that what will that cost me over a long enough time horizon? My health, right? My happiness, my experiences. That is the trade-off of those pursuits. And so while when you ask me, you know, we have people that are willing to do that, the first thing that I wrote down, and I say this a lot, is the danger is in the dose. Right? It's okay to be a little bit aggressive. It's okay to get antsy. It's about it's okay to put your fucking head down for a little bit. But when you put your head down for too long, what you're not doing is collecting feedback. You're not reflecting. And that's where wisdom comes. Your wisdom comes in from your ability to pursue something and give it your all and then look up for breath, for air and be able to reflect on what did I miss, right? Because the first time that you pursue anything, it's never going to be what you want it to be. It's never going to be the idea or expectation that you have, 
And so if you aren't willing to look up and reflect and take the feedback, you can't improve. And so suddenly you're just running yourself into a ground, into the ground, down this path of chaos. And, and that can be destructive in itself. And I think the other thing to acknowledge is that just because you're willing to suffer doesn't mean you have to, right? I'm willing to fucking put my nose to the ground and work. And I mean, my assistant saves my life. She'll be the one that's like, go to bed, tune out. Like, you got to be here. You got to do this, like chill out. She's really good at helping me set boundaries because I am obsessive. And again, I don't think that that's necessarily the best trait. Um, just because I, you're willing to suffer doesn't mean that you have to, and you have to understand when you've pushed, but then you also have to pull, right? And so life is this beautiful dance in this evolution of pushing through something and then pulling back to reflect, take the feedback and improve, and then pushing again, and then maybe learning a new skill set and gathering some new information and being introspective and then pushing again, right? And so you have to be able to meet yourself where you're at and know when it's appropriate for you to push, but then also know when you've had enough and it's time to look up because if you don't take the feedback, you're going to miss it. And then all of a sudden you're going to end up 20 degrees off the destination that you wanted to travel to because you your pride or your ego or whatever that is wouldn't allow you to say, hold on, let me pause and be for a moment. And I think if you can manage that balance appropriately, you can succeed much faster than if you try to do this. It's like dieting, right? People seek out service level solutions all the time because they just want to be there. But it's like, if you don't focus on how to appropriately get yourself there, you're never going to achieve the thing and keep it. You're just going to get it for a little while and then maybe end up worse, right? 20 degrees off the path. Whereas if you just focus with intention on doing it the appropriate way for you, based on all of your life factors and all those things, right, you can move and get there. Now, how fast the velocity will change depending on the seasons of your life and the chaos that is around you. But as long as you're still moving in the right direction, regardless of how fast, you're still oriented and traveling in the right way. And that's okay. So I think it's a lot of those things. I want to take a brief pause in this conversation with Kate to tell you about the thing that gets my day off to the best start and also concludes my day with the best finish. And that is Organifi green juice and gold juice. I am currently in a cutting phase. I just started my fat loss phase last week. I'm about a week into the process and it's going pretty well so far. And I can tell you that because I am front loading most of my calories and in my evenings kind of taper off in the amount of food that I'm eating, Having the Organifi gold juice, the gold chocolate to look forward to is a mental asset in this entire process. Like I'm telling you, being able to start the day with something positive to put into my body, knowing that I'm getting all of my micronutrients, it's my insurance policy for getting in veggies, vitamins, minerals, and then to have that thing that's just that little chocolatey dessert type of flavor that signals to my brain that we're done eating to start to wind down. It has been a huge asset in this process of cutting. And if you're listening to this on the date of release of this episode, Organifi also has a promo that you can take advantage of in conjunction with the 20% off that you get for being a Mind Over Macros listener. So if you want to try green juice, I recommend the crisp apple. And if you want to try gold juice, the chocolate flavor, you can get 20% off by going to Organifi.com slash popfam. And you get free shipping if you order today. So they have this luck of the Irish promo that's going on and it ends today on Monday, the 20th. So if you hustle up, you can get 20% off Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash P-O-P-F-A-M. 
Use code POPFAM at checkout. You get 20% off plus free shipping. They have a bunch of additional promos going on or savings that you can take advantage of through today. Now, you always get your 20% off, but if you want the free shipping as well, hustle up. Go to Organifi.com slash POPFAM. Try, I'm telling you, start with the crisp apple green juice and the gold chocolate Start your day with the green, end your day with the gold, and thank me later. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Kate. Yeah, what I love about that is is allows you to be receptive to new information as it comes in. Because if you're just so on the path and you're just closed off, and then there's this like really key piece of information or this input that's like, hey, season of life change or this major thing happened and you're just, nope, head down, I'm on this path, then you're blocking out a key piece of information that could completely change the direction that you want to go. Maybe it's something that, you know, redirects your, your value hierarchy that this other thing is now so much more important than something that you previously thought was more important. Like all these, these inputs that we constantly are getting, if you're just head down, go, uh, you miss out on, you know what, the plan may need to adjust and we may need to adapt and that's totally fine. Um, I also find that it's interesting when, and maybe this is an over-rotation thing. I think that as a society, we tend to live in the extremes. Like we'll we'll take a concept and then we like butcher it to death and then we over-rotate in the other direction. So I think that sometimes when you're know, using like the dieting example, if somebody is pursuing uh, a body composition goal and all of a sudden it feels easy and they're like, well, I must be doing something wrong because this isn't as challenging as it's supposed to be. And everything's supposed to be hard and I'm and it's supposed to drive me nuts. And it's like, well, is it is that or is this an over-rotation where like, yes, there's a lot of comfort and a lot of convenience in our our lives. So we should seek discomfort, but at the same time, isn't it okay if some things are relatively effortless? So I think this is where a lot of people get health and fitness a little bit confused, right? The first thing that I always tell people is just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's valuable. Just because it's difficult to get fucking shredded doesn't mean it's valuable to be shredded, right? And just because it's simple in principle, most people know you need to lose weight, you got to die, right? Calorie deficit doesn't make it easy, right? But people convolute these ideas. And so when you get to a place, and, and this is really important around the aspect of like building muscle, Right. Muscle, I always like to explain kind of like the stocks, stock market when it's good. Right. It's like every single time you train is like putting a little bit of money into the stock market. Right. And over time, it might go up, it might go down. Right. You might feel soft and fluffy. You might feel like you're not growing or changing at all. But over a long enough time horizon, if you're consistent with that investment, it compounds on itself. And so it gets to a point where, like, I took when I was focused on my health, I took all of last year, I did not train. Like, I am the most detrained person that I've been. But I'm still great body composition. I still have a good amount of lean body mass. I don't believe that I lost it all um, or much at all if I did, right? And I also have the capacity to grow it back significantly faster than it took me with less effort than it put, took me to put it on in the first place, right? And so that's the beautiful thing about building a solid foundation is that once you have it, it's an investment, right? And you won't lose it, but it will compound over time with your quality of life, how you age, all of those things, right? And so if you can look at it from that lens of like, well, I'm not really going to see the return on this investment with all the sweat equity that I'm putting in right now, but one year, two years, three years down the road, if I'm consistent with this, it's going to be a lifestyle that has compounded for me, that is protective in investing in my longevity and my health long-term. But that doesn't mean that it has to be grueling and sweaty and bloody and gross every single training session. At some point, 225 might feel incredibly difficult for you to deadlift right now. But at one point, 225 is going to be your warm up, right? And it's like, you will get better with the skills, 
right? And then there will be another mountain to climb. But when it comes to hypertrophy, growth, or dieting, regardless, there's a threshold. It's like there's only so much muscle that your body has the capacity to put on to where it becomes detrimental because it's also incredibly metabolically taxing, right? So you don't want to have too much and you don't want to have too little. And the same thing happens with dieting. There's only so far you can push yourself physiologically until you have metabolic syndrome or different types of hormonal issues because you've taken it too far, right? And so it's like, you can hang in the balance. Initially, when you're learning a new skill set, it's like, if you were, when you first started coaching, you didn't know everything that you know now, right? You had to get reps and increase volume and then achieve a different skill set and learn new knowledge and apply that and like be able to cultivate all those things. But at some point, all of those things are now inherent to you. They're they're instinctive, right? Your intuition tells you what this client needs and how to serve them and where to pivot and how to frame things. But you didn't know that from day one. And the same principle applies to training. It's like you had a fuck ton to learn. You had a lot of opportunity for growth and it was going to be hard because any new skill set that you learn is hard at first. But over time, it compounds and suddenly it becomes easy. It becomes intuitive. It becomes instinctive. It becomes a lifestyle. Like that is okay. That is ultimately the goal, right? And then you can pursue a different avenue of fitness or change it up depending on where you're at. But it doesn't always have to be grueling and hard. It just means maybe you've come to a point of self-mastery in that specific arena, depending on what it is that they've worked up to to that point. And then maybe you can pivot and learn something new and challenge your body in a different way or challenge your mind in a different way. And that's where the constant growth an application come is knowing that health and fitness isn't just bodybuilding. It's not just hypertrophy. It's not just strength, right? There are so many different arenas that you can pivot into to really get a whole embodying longevity focused program that will allow you to continue to challenge yourself and overcome and learn and enhance skill sets and improve that again, it's not, and it shouldn't always be fucking hard. Like what fun would that be? Yeah, that's really well said. I think it also helps to highlight the fact that it comes down to failing and then learning and then readjusting and then failing again and then learning and readjusting. And it's this constant, well, let me just ask the question because I find that the biggest struggle for most people is they just don't fail really well. They just have a poor relationship with failure for some reason. If you think about it, we've been conditioned to fail from the time that we're born. Like we don't know how to walk. When we try to walk, we can't walk. We fall down, we get up, we fall down, we get up. And then eventually we can walk, hopefully. Um, So why does, as we age, why does our relationship with failure get so murky? And how do you help somebody? uh, It's kind of a two-part question. How do you help somebody improve that relationship with failure so they're not on this all or nothing cycle? Um, And then the follow-up question to that is uh, you mentioned Um, I think it was a reel that you did about the emotional state that you're in, not determining the action that you take. And I think that's another area that a lot of people struggle with. So if I had to like highlight two kind of bullet points of let's fix this and, and you're good, it's your relationship with failure. And then the thought that your feelings need to dictate your actions. Can you just touch on those two things? Yes. So, okay. The first thing that I want to talk about is failure, especially with age, right? Cause it, we put a lot of external pressure on ourselves as we age because we believe ourselves to be more competent and more wise. And so the expectations of your ability to perform, you associate with that identity, right? You don't want to look like a toddler, right? You don't want to look like a deer in headlights. So it's like, okay, I am 28 years old and I have all this wisdom underneath me. And I'm really confident in this arena because this is where I've put my energy, my knowledge and my expertise into. But as soon as you venture into an arena that you're uncomfortable in, you also hold those same expectations for your ability to perform, to carry over, right? And that's cognitive dissonance. It's like, that's not real. That that can't happen. And so when you can go, okay, 
I also have to acknowledge that I've never done physics. So if I'm going to walk into a physics class, how can I expect myself to get an A on the first test when I know nothing about what what is going to happen here, right? You would never do that to your child. And so it's like when you can frame it about somebody else, right? Walking into trigonometry when you haven't even learned addition, it's like, do you think you're going to do well? Like probably not. And this is where you have to focus on foundations, which I'm sure you do a lot, right? But once we can get them to go, okay, fear, and this is, side tangent, something that drives me absolutely bullshit. The human experience, you could not know joy without suffering, right? You couldn't know that. You could not know happiness without sadness, right? We cannot expect the good and only the good. We wouldn't even know if it was good unless there was something to counter that experience. And so it's like, instead of trying to shut off all these negative experiences and emotions, if you can accept them and embody them and experience them, you can take a lot from them. And so that's what failure is, right? It's it's that friend that pops up that's like, hey, you've never done this before. You're probably going to suck. Like all these people are going to judge you. And every single time I, I feel that, I'm just like, I'm going to fuck around and find out. And if I suck at it, I guarantee that hundredth time, like I have a rule of 100 and I've said this before on my Instagram as well. I do not judge myself about how I perform on any given pursuit until I've done it a hundred times. Because until I've experienced it and faced it head on and given effort a hundred times, I can't expect myself to have the skills that would require for it to be good. Right. And so if you can set those types of frames and expectations, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to suck. And I know that I'm going to suck, but I'm going to learn because I'm going to be open to receiving the feedback. And then I can take that nugget that I didn't have before because I hadn't experienced it to gather the wisdom that would carry it forward so that I could try again and do it a little bit better. And if you repeat that cycle enough times, you're going to move down the path that carries you forward to being good at something, but you'll never get good at anything if you're too afraid to try it. So that's my thoughts on failure. I, I always, I said the um, a, a situation that I'll bring up if somebody is struggling with with failure, because I always love two sides of the same coin, right? Like you want success. What is success without failure? It doesn't exist. It's not real. So be like, hey, if you were the only person on earth and you had no context of human existence, would you be short? Would you be tall? Would you be fat? Would you be skinny? What would you be? You have no idea. There is no other side. So you have no idea if you're the only person these things can only exist with that other side of the coin. And I think sometimes we're so afraid of failure. We think of it as like the dark side of the coin, but it's literally the side that's necessary for success to exist. I, I could not agree more. Um, so talk to me about the willingness and the ability to take action regardless of your emotional state. Uh, you know, we hear it all the time. What do I do when I'm not motivated? When I don't feel like doing X, Y, Z, when I don't feel like eating healthy, when I don't feel like going to the gym, I don't feel like getting my steps in. Like it's, it's cold as shit here right now. I don't feel like getting my steps in either. I'm not motivated. What do I do? So, um, quick bite on the last thing is I also think that comparison is something that causes people to feel like they're failing more than they actually are. Because they have no idea the context in which they're comparing. They just see an image and they're like, well, they can do it. I can't. So therefore I'm inadequate and I should stop trying. Side note. But I think that if you find yourself doing that, you should eliminate those people that make you feel that way because they're not doing anything to enhance your life. And they're probably causing you to self-sabotage in nature. Not that they're trying to, but because your internal belief system can't look at this objectively. Um, But emotions and behavior. So first thing that I want to say is most people cannot label their emotions. Women are really good at this. Men, not so much, right? Men are like happy, horny, or angry. And that's pretty much it, right? That's all that they're taught. So like they could be anxious. There's fucking angry, right? (laughs) They could be sad. There's fucking angry. And whereas women we're kind of like, instead of red, green, and blue, we're like magenta, blush, pink, like all, you know, women can feel all these different things, which is great. 
But once you can identify the, the emotion, you have to have the courage to investigate it. And you know this, right? When you're in a highly emotional state, the logical brain shuts down. Right. So you aren't making decisions or thinking logically about what is appropriate to do next that is actually self-serving. You're reacting out of an emotional state based on a stimulus and then internal response that stimulates an emotional narrative or belief pattern that then you engage in self-sabotaging behavior, right? Destructive habits. And so in order for us to operate appropriately, right, to serve your future self, you have to be able to work through that. And so we have to have a framework that you can work yourself through to get to the root of it and then calm yourself down to get back into a logical state where you can take an appropriate action regardless of how you feel. So one thing that I don't, I disagree with, I would say, in mainstream kind of narratives is fuck your feelings. I highly disagree with that. Um, I do not think that we should encourage people to dismiss or compartmentalize their emotional states because inevitably it will manifest externally in some type of behavior, right? So I do not agree with that, but some people do, and that's fine. We can agree to disagree there. But the first thing is identifying what's going on, right? What is this emotion I'm feeling? Where did it come from? What thoughts or, or beliefs are associated with this? And the most important part is being able to extract it and ask yourself if there's any evidence that that's true, right? Most of the time it's not. Our thoughts can run wild. I always tell people your mind has a mind of its own, right? If you can really get into the subconscious, you'd realize like if you would say out loud the things that you think about yourself, that's ludicrous, sister. Like we need to reframe the way that you think about yourself because that again is is engaging those behaviors that you currently exist in that we need to break through. So while your feelings are valid and if we can sort that out and you can go, okay, well, actually this is just a ludicrous idea that isn't actually going to happen. My brain's just running wild. You can then kind of decompress that thought, not that the emotions will go away and not that the things that, you know, you're not motivated, the weather's bad outside, your excuses, right? Excuses, the hard thing about them is that they're valid. You might have shit happen. You, it might be cold outside. It might rain. Your car might break down. Your boyfriend might be being an asshole, right? Your boss might be a dick. It's like, all these things are super valid. I get it. Like totally understand but this is where i want you to think about what would she like whatever i have a moment like that i'm like what would she do and i always picture myself at 35 i know exactly what she looks like what are boundaries expectations the way that she carries herself what her standards are what she values right what she finds meaningful and so in those moments i just go what would she do what would kate do and then i do that because i know inevitably that in that moment, if I can take the action that aligns with the person that I want to become, I'm going to be proud of that action. And is it in it? It is in alignment with where I want to go in my life, right? Whereas if I go, well, what does Kate now want to do? It's like, well, she doesn't want to fucking do anything. It's like, great. And if you choose to do that, just know that that's exactly why you're going to continue to exist as you are, because you're making choices that are comfortable, right? And growth and comfort cannot coexist. That is not a thing. So you have to choose which path and either way, it's going to be uncomfortable and either way there's pain and suffering that are inevitable when you take on any pursuit. And so you have to weigh the cost of action versus inaction and then decide which is appropriate for you. And if you can work through that and take the action that aligns with who you want to be, you're always going to be proud of that in hindsight. Again, there's going to be a high level of resistance when you're engaging in new habits or behaviors or belief patterns, right? You're going to have to trigger that, right? Just like anything else that you're learning in your skills, you have to sit down and be intentional with it. It's the same thing with behavior or mindset stuff, the same type of thing. But over time, it will compound and then you will be in that arena and then you'll want to grow some more. But you have to weigh both of those things and make the appropriate decision, not the comfortable decision, if indeed you want to continue to grow.
Yeah. Just a quick, funny point about your comment about men and emotions. Um, my therapist, maybe like our second session together was like, I'm going to send you this emotional wheel. So you have more language to use for emotions because it's very limited right now. And I was like, this is super helpful. Look at all of these emotions that I can describe now. Um, so completely agree with that. But I think ultimately, and you also mentioned this, this concept of fuck your feelings where all we're doing is we're either distracting, avoiding, or suppressing. And there's this concept called ironic rebounding, which is the more that you try to suppress an emotion or feeling, or like, I'm going to never eat carbs again, or I'm, I'm really afraid of this thing, but I'm going to stuff it down deep. It will always bounce back and it will bounce back at a magnitude much higher than the way that it arrived. So we might as well learn the tools of actually processing and dealing with our emotions of feeling them. Uh, so I, I run through some similar prompts of like, what is it that I'm feeling? Where am I feeling it? What is this trying to tell me? And then what am I trying to tell it? So that last part is where I'm in control because I get to make the decision that's aligned with my future self. But a lot of people don't take the time to define that future self. Uh, so what is the process of like, who do I, who do I want to become? If I don't know who I am now, if I don't know why this matters, like how do you walk somebody through this process of creating a version of themselves that they can then default to once they've felt their feelings, they've allowed themselves to accept that this is a feeling and I, I know where I'm feeling it. I know what it's trying to tell me. I know what I'm trying to communicate to it. I know that I want to do this action or take this action. Um, like, what is this process for unpacking all of that? And, and how does somebody begin if they've never even done this work before? Like, what's a good starting point to start painting that picture of the future version of you? Yeah. So the first thing that I do when I'm working with clients is I have them do this exercise because a lot of people will tell you about themselves in a frame that is reflective of the person they want to be, not necessarily who they actually are. Right. So there's a discrepancy of I am this, I am that, I am this. And then push comes to shove and they give in a little bit. Right. They're not actually bold enough to embody all those things. And so the first exercise that I have people do is like, I want you to sit down and I want you to describe to me as completely as possible, be as long and thorough as possible on this description of the woman or man that you want to be on the other side of this. Who is that? What do they look like? What are their behaviors? What do they value, right? How do they set boundaries? What are their boundaries, right? What do they find meaningful? What are their passions? How do they carry themselves? How do they articulate themselves? What arenas are they in, right? I want you to like, what do they look like? What is their hair? Like get as clear as possible, as descriptive as you can possibly be. And what does a day in their life look like? What is your ideal day? If you could do anything, what does that look like? Right. It's advocating for myself. It's setting a boundary. It's saying no. It's all these things that most people don't necessarily carry or they wouldn't be coming to me for help. And so the first thing is figuring out where do you want to be? What does that look like? And get as clear and thorough as you possibly can down to like the details of their hair. Like I said, be as clear as you possibly can. What does that person look like? What do they value? How do they carry themselves? What is their demeanor, their temperament? describe it. And I don't mean think it like, this is where people just like, we'll talk it out and they'll be like, okay, cool. I did this exercise. I'm like, no, I want you to write it down. Like, I want you to be super present with this so that whenever you feel off track, you can go back to what you wrote. Cause it's not about me. I don't care who you become. It doesn't impact me. I know where I'm going. Where are you going? Let's talk about this. So getting clear on where they are. Great. Now that they've done this, I say, okay. And now we're going to leave with a lot of curiosity and zero judgment so that we can transparently look at where you are. Right. And this is hard for a lot of people because, again, like you said earlier, one thing I say a ton and I repeat this like a beating a dead horse. It's like you have to leave with curiosity and not judgment, like a fly on the wall. That's just observing you. That's it. 
You don't have to judge yourself, but you have to be aware. You have to be able to self-audit. Otherwise, you cannot pivot or adjust certain behaviors, actions, beliefs, or habits that you currently have if you refuse to acknowledge that they're present. And so we have to get very clear on what it is that they are at, what they carry that has gotten them here. And then we can look at them both and go, okay, we can see the gaps here together between where you are and where you want to go. And then I can build out a roadmap for the things that we need to work on, frameworks that I want them to implement, conversations that need to be had, all of these different things that cultivate that empowerment for them to start moving that needle forward. And so once I have that, if indeed they get to a point where I'm not motivated, I'm tired, I don't feel like doing it, right? I tell them, I want you to go back and look at what you wrote. What would that person do? Do you feel as though the actions that you want to take are in alignment with what that person would do? And it's up to you. This is where it's all very self-empowering. It's like, my job is not to dictate the path that you take. That's not my job. My job is to help you find clarity on the path that you want to take because you've communicated to me that that's the type of person that you want to be and that's not where we are right now. So I need to help empower you and give you the courage to take the steps. And I don't care if it's 10 steps or one step. Again, you don't have to conquer it in a day, but you have to be intentional and present and aware enough to have the courage to be bold and take one more step big or small. Yeah. And I think, uh, you mentioned don't, don't conquer it in a day or you don't have to conquer it in a day. And I think sometimes uh, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we have this image of our future self. And we know down to the detail, we wrote it out. We feel so connected with that person. We're like, okay, this is exactly who I want to become. I'm on this path. And then in a moment we default typically when, you know, you're, you're trying to strengthen a new muscle and it's just like the first time you ever tried to deadlift. Like it's, it's not there yet. The movement pattern's awkward. It feels uncomfortable. You're like, I don't quite know how this is supposed to feel. And how I felt with yoga. I'm like, my body doesn't bend that way. <laughs> it's like, it's okay that we, in a moment of stress or negative emotions or something that we default to previous behaviors, that's going to happen. I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves that now that we have this vision and this person that we're trying to become, that we have to be on this linear path there And what I'll always do is I'll try to reframe it and be like, hey, that person that you thought of, did they do everything perfectly or do they do everything perfectly or do they also make mistakes? And like now we have to start to humanize that person because I always say oftentimes we either treat the future version of ourselves like a superhero or a stranger. Uh, When we treat them like a stranger, it's like I'm disconnected from this person and I, you know, I'm like, screw it. I'm going to do what I want in the moment because that's their problem. Uh, we treat them like a superhero. We think they're going to swoop in and save the day. Like they're going to make up for all of our mistakes. But oftentimes it's because we haven't built that level of connection with that person to treat them as us, as we are now to accept all the flaws and the mistakes. And that's again, coming back to like the relationship with failure, that future version of yourself isn't perfect. is never going to be perfect. And that was never the expectation to begin with. So it's okay in a moment that you didn't make a decision in alignment. Uh, what's your process for walking somebody through a situation where they, they have the roadmap, they have the vision, they have everything in writing, but they still in a moment default to old behavior patterns, made a decision that was out of alignment and are kind of reeling because of it. So the most important thing is to humanize it. So first and foremost, every single human being is susceptible to this in high stress or high emotional states, we revert back to what is most comfortable, right? So people that have been emotional eaters, right? This happens quite frequently with that population. They'll go really long time, do phenomenal. And then all of a sudden shit will hit the fan and they'll have a moment where they engage in that. But the gravity of it is less and they can stop it. 
And so while they carry a lot of guilt, what they don't look at is how much progress they've made because they feel as though that one hiccup degrades all of the progress that they've made to that point, which is not true because previously maybe this person would have got on benders for days, right? And maybe they wouldn't have stopped at seven Oreos. Maybe they would have eaten the whole thing. And so it's like, while this is not a perf- perfect action, which I'll get on in a second, it is a significantly more improved one. And the fact that typically after these events kind of happen where they get back into those comfortable habits or behaviors, they will come to me and say, I did this thing and I felt fucking awful. I hate that. I never want to do it again. And what I tell them is that's empowering. You needed that to happen. You would not have the perspective that you have coming to me and saying this if you didn't have that hiccup. And now we have that wisdom so that next time you're faced in the same emotional state, because every emotion works on a spectrum, you will experience it again. Right. So now you're better prepared and more equipped to face that and improve. Maybe next time, instead of seven Oreos, it's four. Right. And again, it's not about the perfection. Perfection doesn't exist. It's an idea. By default, none of us are perfect. And so when you build out who you want to be, you also have to accept the fact that that person is perfect for you because they embody all of your imperfections. Right. That's what makes them fucking cool. That's what makes you cool regardless of what it is, right? For me, it's like, I always want to learn. And my my problem is like, I want to learn, I want to know everything, but I can't know everything at once. And so I have to structure my learning path, right? So that I can continue to get excited about where I'm going, but also appreciate and be present with what I'm doing now. And it's the same thing on the personal development side. It's not going to be perfect. And you can't conquer every every mountain or every issue or every hiccup or every belief or every habit at once, but we can improve them over time to a point where they diminish completely. But that might be a one-year pr- endeavor, it might be a 10-year endeavor. But either way, the path is still there and you're still taking one step and improving and you have to meet yourself there and not expect for you to go zero to 100. Because if you go zero to 100, you're going to go 100 to zero real quick, right? If, If the methods are unsustainable, so are the results. And so you can lie to yourself all you want to and pretend like, oh yeah, I'm doing all these things and and I have made the sacrifices and I'm showing up and I have no issues now. But it's like, if you genuinely believe that and you have a blind spot that we're not looking at, and we need to deep dive into that. Because it's a never-ending process. Just because you're good for a week doesn't mean you'll be good for a year, right? And so this is where you have to recognize your own deficits while also appreciating and understanding that you are human and you will make mistakes and you will fuck this up. And that's okay. We all do. Welcome to the game. Yeah, I love that perspective. Uh, I want to fire off one last question and then I will let you jump off. But uh, and, and mainly I'm saying that because it's dinner time for me and I'm just started a dieting phase and I'm like counting. Me down. too. <laughs> we'll have to do a podcast on our dieting updates. If you guys yeah. want that, give us a comment. Yeah, seriously. Um, so how do you balance? I'm, and this is a personal question. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you balance the kind of living in the moment versus delayed gratification and not always being so future-based? Now, I think it's, you know, like everything there's, there's a middle ground. What does that look like for you in saying, you know what, sometimes it's okay to give into an impulse. Sometimes it's okay to indulge in the moment. Sometimes it's okay to, you know, like, you know, we all want to save money and we all want to look at the future, but maybe there's this like epic trip I want to take tomorrow and I can just do it. Like, how do you balance that personally? Whatever, whatever context you want to take it. Yeah. So for me, The most important thing for me is, yes, I am someone who is very ambitious and I do have big goals and I try to chase them relentlessly. But I think one of the best things that I've done for me is bring intention and awareness to how finite my life is. And so when I look back at the end of every day, like I always observe, if I died at the end of tonight, if I didn't wake up tomorrow, 
would I be okay with how I live my life? And right now the answer is like, absolutely. Yes. I, I love what I do. I love how I operate every single day, but then there also has to come down to this, this level of consciousness of like, am I present with what I'm doing today? And so for me, one, one exercise that I've done and that I have written down is a lot of us are programmed to run away from negative emotions. And so we'll say, I don't want to feel anxious anymore. I don't want to feel depressed anymore. I don't want to feel angry or sad. Like we, but when you talk about it, you're subconsciously focusing on those things. And so what I've done is I've shifted that to what five, four or five positive emotions do I want to feel today, right? Joy, fulfillment, peace, love, and gratitude typically for me. So whenever I have a bite of that in my day, I ruminate in it. I take it in. I'm present with it. Even if it's two seconds, I will let it sit with me so that I felt that that day. And so I am much more present in my day-to-day and appreciative of the little things that I get to experience, whether it's a beautiful sunset or beautiful sunrise or great conversation that I've had, like those things I find incredibly fulfilling or they bring me joy or they make me feel peaceful. And it's like, I can sit there and truly bring in that experience knowing that if I don't wake up tomorrow, like I still had all these beautiful things that happened around me. And then when it comes to maybe life pursuits or opportunities or vacations, holidays, right? Family events. I always tell my clients like, I want you to be conscious and present in that experience, not focused on food or numbers or perfection or the scale. Like, no, you've learned enough to this point that you should be incredibly excited that we're going to test how good you are at it. We're going to see if you can carry over those behaviors. We're going to see if you can implement that awareness. Because again, social events or experiences in life, we make about things like alcohol and food when truly it's about the people, the moment and the environment that you're in. And if you can shift the frame of the intention and set the intentions before you pursue the endeavor, you're going to handle it just fine. And you're going to fucking love the fact that you didn't compromise yourself or your health or the things that you were pursuing in order to do that thing. Maybe you didn't go work out for two hours over six days. Okay. Like I can live with that. That's, that's pretty okay. I'm sure I was active and I made good choices and I enjoyed certain things that I wanted to try, but I wasn't an asshole and I took care of myself and I had intentions set for myself going into it. So coming out of it and being aligned with that through the process of that pursuit, I'm still just fine. I'm still on track. And now I've actually found a way where I can balance and hang in the balance and still pursue the person that I want to become and be aligned with that regardless of the environment that I'm in. Because that's a hard thing for people too. When you're in your own house in the context and you have control over every little thing that you're doing all day long, well, yeah, of course you can adhere. That's fucking easy. Not throw yourself at your grandparents' house with kiddos running around and treats everywhere and the holidays and everyone's drinking. It's like, can you align there? Well, let's see. Let's find out. And then let's see what you struggle with. And maybe we need to understand how to have hard conversations or set boundaries or advocate for yourself or say no, right? Let go of the stakeholders and expectations that are put on you and communicate that appropriately, right? And this is where people can then grow, but you have to be be willing and excited and give yourself permission to throw yourself into the fire sometimes and then find out where your gaps are and then take that feedback. So that the next time, because there's always holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, travels, events, experiences that you should enjoy throughout your short life. And I want you to, but I also want to make sure that you have the tools that will keep you on the right path to becoming the person that you've told me that you want to become. Incredibly well said. And I can say that this conversation delivered the full gamut of emotions that you mentioned, joy, fulfillment. And I'm very grateful uh, that you were willing to jump on the show and and give your time and and wisdom to uh, everybody listening. So I would love for you to let everyone know how they can stay connected with you and follow all of the incredible work that you're doing. Of course. Thank you so much. And I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Um, If you guys are listening and you want to check me out, I am Kate and Michelle on every channel. Podcast is Elevate, but it is under my name as well. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, all the places and all the content is just 
mostly long form. So if you like what I have to say, then you'll enjoy. <laughs> Everybody go check that out. I will post all of the links in the show notes and uh, it was truly a pleasure and hopefully we will uh, talk very soon. Awesome. Have a great night. Enjoy your dinner. <laughs>